Welcome to Potadelphia. My name is Dave Diorio. You can find me on Twitter at fat underscore lobster. And I'm joined by a fashionista who was at the Met Gala. Uh, what's up, Sarah? Um, nothing much. Uh, I'm just happy to be uh, adored by my adoring public who likes my fashion choices and the mm -hmm. necklace that nearly made me late for the show tonight. <laughs> um, but like the Met Gala, I like to have provocative things written on the back of dresses that institute policy change. Nice. And if you'd like to hear about the policies I advocate, you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Siders. You can find the show at Potadelphia. If you want to hear me talk exclusively about hockey, you can find me two, three times a week at Locked on Flyers. Awesome. Awesome. So I was going to ask if you were to have a uh, Philadelphia sports message written across your dress, like uh, a la AOC's tax the rich, uh, what would what would your dress message be? No Eagles chance at non Eagles games. Okay. It could be pithier. But I mean, if I had to do one thing across all of Philadelphia sports, that could mm -hmm. fit on the, you know, the train or a bustle of a dress um, or the skirt or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm going to just choose no Eagles chance at nine Eagles games. We can make Good that one. pithier. Dave, yeah. if you were to wear something on your tie or vest or cummerbund or dress, I mean, you do you, dude. Yeah, I wish I thought about this question before I asked it. Uh, well, now you know how I feel. <laughs> Every one of your funny little introductions I go into blind, but I mean, you just roll with the punches. Yeah, I, I, Tim chimed in here and said, "Develop pitchers." That wouldn't be a bad. Ooh, one. that's a good one. It's quick. Or develop a farm team. I mean, if we're talking specifically Phillies, like how how about have a plan? Have a plan. I know the Flyers have one currently. The Sixers definitely had one. Yeah. I think we're going to spend the show talking about whether the Eagles have one. And clearly the Phillies do not. Yeah. What if What if it just said shoot the three? Shoot the three. <laughs> Shut up, Ben. <laughs> Wait, there were Kardashians there. I bet you, uh, you know, Kim or Chloe or whoever he dated – um, had to shut up, Ben. Well, Kim Kardashian was a Kim Kardashian who had the black, like just the all black, yes, like, dementor looking, um, very but, dementor, yeah, very dementor looking. That you could wear, you know, in moratorium of the Phillies season, uh, <laughs> this year. But I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. Do we have to go there? We don't have to go there, right? Nah, nah, we're good. We're good. No, because we own a first place football team after week one. <laughs> and we have to start there, obviously, right? Well, I okay. think so. Go Most on. Most fun watching a football game since... Double doink. Wow, that's a long time ago. I was going to actually just say the Saints game last season. Um, although... That game did still have like a a specter of bull. I spent all last season pissed off. Mm -hmm. You know, it's of who's our quarterback, what's happening with whence what's going to be the next step. You know, so even being excited about Hertz, you know, 
at times last season. It was just a question of like, well, we can't have both Hertz and Wentz, and you know they're not going to get rid of Wentz, so Hertz will sit on the bench and then go be good for somebody else or whatever. I I don't know this this Eagles game was a lot of fun, and you know I we've talked about it on the show just how there are no expectations for the season and how I was planning just to to roll with the punches and enjoy whatever came. Oh man, that was a great way to go into you know, the start of a football season and, you know, football Sunday where the Eagles, would you say, is it fair to say the Eagles rolled them? I'd say the Eagles rolled Atlanta. I mean, when you're, when you're a three and a half point road dog and you win by what, 22 points, but what was the final of that game? 29 to six. Oh, that's right. They did get more points. They did get more. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, they rolled them. I mean, they, 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 Poured it on a bad team that wasn't ready for what we were, what we brought to the table. Um, yeah, it, it's like a, it's like a feel good story. The, the no expectations part plays such a huge aspect of why the game was enjoyable because if they lost that game, you would just be like, yeah, oh, well, I mean, I knew they weren't going to be great. We had an opportunity in the first quarter of the season, this was the worst team that we were going to play. Uh, so you kind of missed an opportunity there to potentially, you know, get get a, get something on the on the board because um, the the schedule is really tough at the beginning. Um, so yeah, if they lost, you would you know you would be like, yeah, well, I knew it was going to be a rough season. Yeah, it, I think it would depend on how they lost. I. Were you afraid at points in the game we were going to blow the lead? Me, I I was happy with the way the game started, you know, especially that first touchdown uh, to Devontae Smith. All right, here's a challenge to people watching, people listening. The first time I say Devontae Smith Pelly instead of Devontae Smith, call me out and I'll send you something. I'll what send you a Philadelphia sticker. I'll what send you a Philadelphia sticker. Devonte Smith Pelly is a hockey player. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think he's out of the league right now. But he was a uh, a couple different teams uh, won the Stanley Cup with uh, the Capitals. I think he won it recently. He won it recently. And ever since we d- drafted Devonte Smith, I'm like that'll be an easy name to remember. It's like Devonte Smith Pelly. Sexy stickers too. I mean, they are sexy stickers. They <laughs> were on my car. I don't think I don't even have one on my car yet. So <laughs> if you catch me making that blunder, hit us up on Facebook, cut us up on YouTube, hit us up on Twitter, and we will send you a Potadelphia sticker. Um, but back to the impromptu promotion that I cleared with absolutely nobody. Um, that first touchdown, that was just so fun and exciting yeah. and just simple, well-executed football. You know, it's you you forget the pure joy of like, hey, there are, there are running lanes open. Let's use them. You know, right. it, it was just so much fun, so much fun to watch that game. Yeah. So I mean, early in the game, Devontae Smith gets his first touchdown of his career. Um, later in the game, Gainwell gets his first touchdown of his career. Um, Rager got uh, a touchdown during the game. Uh, Goddard got one, right? 
So that those are the four. Uh, I don't know if Goddard got one. I no, bet did, they, did he not get one? Well, you, uh, but I, anyway, I, can't, I don't was, recall. I don't recall. It was certainly all like it was. It was a young. It was a young core of of players that were all in the mix. It wasn't like Ertz, you know, and mm-hmm. whatever else, you know. Have, so I mean that, and that made it exciting too. You know, you're like, yes, oh, we got my new players. They're they're contributing and they're like doing shit and it's not like jj ortega whiteside and Mm -hmm. every other bust that we've drafted um with you know whatever high hopes or whatever like disappointment at the draft because you didn't take the obvious choice sometimes when you take the obvious choice the obvious thing happens and they're good yeah you know i think about that a lot with the uh the nolan patrick draft it's like well why didn't the flyers take this why didn't the flyers take that well, you could do that, but you end up screwing yourself over if the the common wisdom is correct. So when you try to overthink things like the Eagles and how we have done in the past, you're just setting yourself okay. up. I don't know so, if you're setting yourself up to fail, but you're setting yourself up for criticism. Okay, so before we get like rotten tomatoes thrown at us, the, the score of the Eagles game was 32 to 6. And yes, I... Uh, I did name all of the players that got touchdowns. So Gainwell, um, Rager, Goddard, Sanders, not Sanders. I'm sorry. Goddard, Rager, Gainwell, and Smith all got touchdowns. So we got, um, what, what did you think of? So do we rename fourth and Doug to fourth and Nick? Are we at that point yet? Well, I, I think, I think Nick has to do more to wrestle the title from Doug. Okay. I mean, it's just a fourth down attempt. No, we can still be fourth and Doug. Why can't it be like, you know, in memoriam? You know, the, the memorial. Shit, Gene just joined the show. Hi. Hi. What's up, little guy? Did we wake you up? No. Oh, you look like you just got up from a nap. But you look great, though. You always look great. (laughs) Yeah, it's nice, Gene. We were just uh, all dialed up for the show, don't you? (laughs) We were just talking. Is it is is Nick Sirianni's fourth down? What did you think of Nick Sirianni's fourth down attempts? Uh, Uh, I I thought. I'm trying to think. There was one. I think it was in the second quarter or third quarter when the game was still sort of in the balance. um, That I thought he were winning. We were winning. Yeah, but it was it was close, Um, and I I didn't like the idea of not getting points there. I think we ended up getting stuffed on the play um, and turned the ball over on downs. I didn't like, uh, you know, I mean, I, I've become more of a traditionalist as far as fourth downs are concerned, I guess, after being watching Doug Peterson the last year and a half. Um, I think that it's no longer novel to, to go for it as aggressively on fourth down. So sometimes now being a little bit more conservative and, and sort of traditional way of handling fourth downs, there was a reason why it was the standard for as long as it was because it just it just made sense to play field it's, position game. It's Especially when like, you've got a young quarterback, your 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 defense has been playing well, your offense has been playing well. There's no reason to take big swings and risk uh, in in that game, in my opinion. Just yeah, it's kind of like the, it's kind of like the coach version of take what the defense gives you. You know, we always you know, kind of piled on Wentz for some of the hero ball stuff and trying to force things and, and, and make it happen. And, um, 
we were really happy to see uh, Jalen Hurts and the gang kind of take what the defense gave them in most situations. But um, I don't think Sirianni really followed that with some of his fourth down decisions. Um, Yeah, I think it was like a 37-yard field goal that he passed up um, that could have extended the lead and put put some points on the board there. So I was kind of bummed that – he, he was aggressive. I, like, I get it. You want to show that like you have confidence in the offense and maybe there's some subtextual things going on there, but just from a fan standpoint, it's like, well, <laughs> please give me the three. Any trip that you get points is a, is a good one. Um, uh, where do you want to go here? What, what do you, what else do we want to talk about? So did I miss to... all of the positive stuff about the Eagles and we've moved on to the negative? No, no, no. We're still talking about, I mean, it's going to be, almost exclusively positive I, I think that so if you want to talk about negative like that's kind of like a, a, a thing that i took away is i didn't like to go for it i didn't like the calls on fourth down they were kind of like i don't know wishy-washy to me and they didn't really produce they didn't work so at the end of the day it's like well they didn't work so they weren't good um uh, what else i thought some of the punt and kick returns didn't there was a lot of like, let me try to make this happen with running backwards and things like that. But I mean, I'm I'm picking nits here. I, I you know, I, I got to be honest. And it largely it was great. It was super fun. You played a bad team and you did what you were supposed to do. I don't know. Did you really think that Atlanta was as bad as they they showed, or um, I mean, was that <laughs> the Atlanta team you sort of expected? Because it wasn't the Atlanta team that I expected. I I expected this. I'll be honest. I expected us to lose, so I expected Atlanta to play better. So I don't know. I mean, this could prove out to be the Eagles are bad, and the Falcons are epically bad. I mean, it could be. I, I don't know. <laughs> it seems like there's some talent on offense there with the with the Falcons, and and the Eagles did have some trouble there, particularly in the second quarter, stopping the run. Um, so, you know, Calvin Ridley's a threat. Um, Cordero Patterson seemed like he was a threat out of the backfield, and they just decided to sort of completely abandon the run altogether in the second half. Yeah, Pitts could get it going. The interior offensive line of the Falcons is really in trouble, um, which is kind of matching up to a strength on the Eagles. Um, so I don't know. I get. I, I we got to see a couple more weeks to really prove this out and, and to say you know. The Eagles are better than we thought they were, and the Falcons are worse than we thought they were, or, you know, vice versa, whatever. <clears throat> but, you know. And then we, we, we say it a lot where that you can – you only play the team in front of you. And whether the, the Falcons are good or bad, the Eagles still did the job they were supposed to do. They, you know, they rolled them up. You know, they, they, they kicked a little ass on Sunday. So whether the Falcons are good or bad, the Eagles still did their job. Now, not knowing how good we consider the Falcons to be, it means we have to wait until probably this weekend, probably until like maybe even week four or five, you know, of the Eagles season to to really get a sense of the team. But that's just that's just the NFL with no preseason games, really. But so I'm I'm not willing to chalk anything up to the fact that the the Falcons aren't going to be a good team this year if that really is the case, especially because how new this Eagles squad was. You have to give it up to Sirianni for having them ready to go with 
uh, a new coaching staff, a lot of new personnel. Uh, Hurts entering the season as the starting quarterback as opposed to the backup who takes over the job, but not really like he did last year. So there's just so much positive to, to take out of that first game. And yeah, it could be a bit of fool's gold, but there, there's no way to really tell right now, I think. I think the takeaway is that they crush them. The defense absolutely stymied them. They they got they got through their scripted plays that all worked out great on that first drive and, and you know resulted in a field goal. But after that, it was it was they couldn't do anything with the ball. And you know, the Eagles, you know, moved the ball well. It, they just they just crushed them. So it's not like ah, we got, you know, it was a competitive game be- between two bad teams. Nah, it was pretty much the game was pretty much over. Um before the second half. Yeah, it's just so they just won. I mean, like we talk about like you play the team in front of you. So, you know, a lot of good teams played a lot of bad teams in week 1 and they won, you know, so it's we'll see. Bring on the Niners, right? Mhm. So, um maybe you guys already talked about this, but what was your takeaway from seeing the first uh first action as the you know, with the offense sort of geared towards Jalen Hurts. Um you know, a lot of people said last year some of his struggles were because um, it was set up for wins. Kind yeah. Of thing. Or, you know, I mean, like it was built in a different <laughs> way. Um, you know, I mean, to a certain degree, you, you you also this is a whole different when when Sirianni came in, there was no mindset of Wentz. You know, what I mean, like. Yeah. Peterson had been running an offense for Wentz for a long time. And I don't know that Peterson ever bought into having Hurts you know, on the team at all. I don't know if that was something that he really sort of bought into. He, it always felt to me that he was not, you know, he, maybe he looked at him as like a gadget player, but Wentz was his guy. And I think ultimately that decision was part of what cost him his job. I think he just backed Wentz for a lot longer than he probably should have. And, you know, maybe the Eagles – because of the way the division lined up, they maybe if they make that move earlier, they they things play out differently last year. But all a whole new set of circumstances, new quarterback, effectively a rookie quarterback. Um, were you impressed by some of the intangibles that you saw with Jalen Hurts? I sort of knew that he had some of the physical things, physical gifts that we saw. We knew that he could use his legs, um, but he didn't lean on his legs. You know what I mean? He didn't. He, he did sort of make his progressions and stuff like that, in my opinion. But he seemed like the guy who was in charge of the offense. It I saw some like critiques. Was, like he was the one that was operating the offense, not that the off- offense was trying to operate despite him. Oftentimes with Wentz, it felt like the offense was trying to operate. If Wentz could just do his part, the offense would be fine. In this case, it seemed like Hertz was sort of in control. He was the one driving the car. Well, I saw some critiques that Hertz passed up some potentially larger plays to um, escape, or he um, prematurely escaped pockets that were not yet collapsing, which kind of reminds me of early McNabb. Um, and I'm fine with it, actually, for a you know player making his what is it, the fifth professional start. Um, He seems to 
understand the scrambling aspect of the position. Uh, he doesn't look like he's the kind of guy that's putting himself in like weird situations when it comes to scrambling. He's like, he can slide correctly. Um, and, and I thought he made generally good decisions through the whole game. At least the decisions that he made weren't like, turnover risking decisions you know how right. we, we always saw the the Wentz like oh, okay one turnover a game is going to happen um so we kind of stayed out of that dilemma um another thing i noticed about the offense is gone was the sort of tuna can um chode offense <laughs> that uh that the eagles ran quite often in the past where there was just constantly it's like you know 15 yard passes but to the sideline and then expecting you know a wide receiver to you know to 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 make it all happen out there. And the the there were some plays like that. They just were better designed, I guess, or um, we had better personnel running it, or it's like swifter personnel, or what, I don't know what it was. Just everything just worked better. Maybe it was a bad defense. I, you know, I don't know. It's like we got still got a lot of question marks around this team. I think my one big takeaway with Hertz was he just looked calm under center and there were he never looked frazzled last season you know as far as i can recall he you know he didn't look like a a rookie but maybe he didn't feel like he had command of the team command of the offense the whole time you know gene i think you had said it's a offense built around hurts or always with hurts in, in mind and he looked really comfortable back there. He looked like it was his team and it didn't seem like this guy is under gun. This guy is afraid. This guy, you know, is doubting his arm. So he's running, he's doubting his legs. So he's throwing dirt balls or, or whatever. He seemed to have a really nice, calm composure and, and ran that offense very well. Flipping it around to the defense here, um, you know, a lot of praise for Gannon this week um, and a lot of conversation around his ability to switch up styles and not commit to being one type of personality on defense. Um, whereas, you know, Schwartz was like, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to rush three or we're going to rush four and that's how we're going to do it. Um, we're going to do like one high safety and then it won't be until they get burned a billion times in the game before he finally he relents goes. and switches up his style. And the Gannon philosophy is going to be that there is no Gannon philosophy and it's going to be, you know, just just a, mixing it up and you never know what you're going to get. And I think sometimes that's going to overall, that's going to that's going to be effective. Right. Like, you know, if you're playing if you're playing tech mobile and the computer's like randomly selecting a defense, most of the time it's going to it's going to zig to your zag and it's going to work every once in a while. It's going to like, you know, you're going to guess right. And then the play is going to is going to work and go through. And I think that's kind of what we saw a little bit in the in the second half with the the run defense, because <clears throat> when they were running the ball really effectively, I was kind of like, well, what is going on here? Can we get some uh, like an extra some extra help in the box here? Because th this is not. I don't know. I've always felt that the Eagles with our line, although the, the linebacker play has been a little like eh, over the past few years, the, 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 the run stopping has been effective, but 
Um, I don't know. Thoughts on the defense? Uh, I'll go. I, it was a pleasant surprise for me. I don't, I don't know what I was anticipating, but I was expecting the defense to be a real sore point for the season. And again, it might be, <laughs> you know, I just, I didn't, I didn't get a sense from more knowledgeable people that our defense was going to be a, you know, a point of pride or our defense was going to be uh, a real asset for the Eagles this season. I was expecting it to be something to be overcome. Um, and that's not what I saw on Sunday. There, there I'm more inclined to go, let's wait, as opposed to the offense. But so far, so good. Um, you know, it doesn't seem like Gannon was feeling pressure to call the game a certain way. It was just, again, smart, simple, smart, simple defense as, as far as I could tell. What did you miss more on Sunday from last season? Did you miss um, long completions over the top behind our defense? Um, or did, <laughs> did you miss uh, sticks defense? Oh, um, that that sticks defense was really a source of com uh, comfort, you know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like we'll 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 give you a ten, but um, <laughs> although that that frustrated, dumbfounded defensive end look was always great for replays. Oh, yeah, you know yeah. the like I I look pissed off and I'm gonna look around. So I hope that you think that somebody else's this was somebody else's fault as opposed to me completely misreading a coverage. Um. I'm gonna go sticks defense is is what I miss the most. Yeah, that was always good when it was uh, like third and eighteen, and we allowed them to get seventeen, and then they just go, okay, we'll just go for it on fourth down. Then thanks. <laughs> yeah, I never understood why you don't play sticks defense a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage and not as close to the first down marker. Um, um, classic Red Rover strategy: you set yeah. up the line, mm -hmm. oh, and you just hold it tight. Um, what did you think about the? entire defensive line kicking the door down celebration uh after the sack well i appreciate Seems it like that's the, the choreographed the, thing the entire now. defensive line sort of as a collective unit i mean the the, the their philosophy seems to be we're just going to keep rolling as long as they can stay healthy they're they're going to roll essentially i guess like eight guys that they're just going to keep coming at you with they're going to try and stay as fresh as as possible they I think they did play all eight defensive linemen. Um, yeah, I mean, they seem like that's really the strength of the defense is the defensive line. I don't think that that's really a surprise to anyone. Um, but, you know, they they seem to be able to really dominate the point of attack, even though they seem to look like they were getting gashed in the first half. The one thing that I will take solace in is the fact that when the Falcons got into the red zone twice in the first quarter, they got field goals, and when we got into the red zone, we got touchdowns. So, um, you know, there is something to be said by being able to, um, you know, buckle in and, um, you know, not yeah. not break when when pressed and still be – the other thing is the – there's a lot of penalties in this game. Um, I think oh, the Falcons yeah, committed 14, the, the Eagles committed 12. Now, 
one of the things I'll take note is it was clear. Like a that false was, start parade there for a while. Yeah. One of, one of the things that I will take note of is there was also a couple of strange things, and you're going to get this early in the season, and they even commented about it on the broadcast, that there are certain mandates for certain calls that it seems like the NFL sort of puts out to all the refereeing crews early in the year to sort of enforce. I don't think I had ever seen defensive holding – called as much as I saw called in the game. Now, by the letter, I think I saw called at least three times and twice on, on the Eagles. And basically what that is, is you're, you're holding a lineman to keep him from getting to a block, because I think exactly how I sort of understand it. Um, so I you think seeing defensive holding in the secondary. Right. I think this was defensive mm-hmm. holding like by the like the, the line. linemen? Yeah, like holding other linemen. Okay. Basically, the linemen are trying to get to a block, and the defender is holding them so that somebody else can make a tackle. Um, it's sort of how I, I read it. Like I said, it's a very sort of a strange call. I don't see it very often. That's why I'm sort of grasping it, having how to explain it. But pen- penalties like that aside, I will say that the Eagles' defense, when the Falcons would shoot themselves in the foot, had a tendency – to be able to close the door when the Falcons would sort of back themselves into these predicaments, as opposed to the Falcons offense, who, if you just think about that drive at the end of the first half, um, by all rights, with the amount of penalties the Eagles took, that should have been a drive that ended in a field goal. Um, but it didn't. We, I th- right? We got a touchdown at the, end of the, at the end of the half, right? Yeah. So, you know, they kept getting pushed back, but the Eagles were still able to operate their offense and find a way to, to put points up on the board. Um, so the Falcons defense was not able to capitalize when the Eagles would make sort of the same kinds of mistakes. That's one of the things the Eagles need to clean up against San Francisco. San Francisco is not going to let you commit 12 penalties, 14 penalties, and not make you pay for it on the scoreboard. Um, so in that sense, I hope they sort of look at the tape and can sort of figure out where it is that they're making these false start things that even get them cleaned up. But Uh, I see Dave's lips moving, but I think oh, he's. Sorry. Hey, were you area. were you surprised at the usage of uh, of Gainwell versus Sanders uh, in this game? And I only really call that out because Miles Sanders is on my son's fantasy team, and he was pulling his hair out um, every time Gainwell got the ball. I, I was more surprised at the lack of usage of Boston Scott. But stop. <laughs> is he on the team? He is. Yeah. He was a, I guess, essentially special a advisor or something. Yes, yeah, uh, assistant to the to the running back coach. Maybe. Running back, special advisor to the running, assistant to the running back coach. <clears throat> uh, okay, uh, yeah. Well, so let's talk about what's coming up this week. 49ers, Uh It's in Philly, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Forty ers have back to back road games to start this year. Eagles are three and a half point home dogs. Last time I looked. Got that West Coast team uh, coming East Coast. This is a one o'clock game. It is. So, I mean, how do you feel? I feel kind of good. I feel kind of good. Why well, feel good? Now, do I feel good about the results favoring the Eagles on Sunday? I don't quite know. Um, but I'm excited to see it. As long as we're not embarrassed. I think I'm going to enjoy it. I I want the 
I, of course, want to see the Eagles do exactly what they did against the Falcons and do it against, you know, I was going to say San Jose, against San Francisco. But I, I'm not anticipating that. What I would love to see is just a nice, respectable showing. Hopefully that's a win. But I'm not worried in the least. I don't expect the Eagles to get blown out. And everything else is still, we're kind of in gravy territory. Like, let's find out more about this team. Let's find out more about what this season is going to be. Okay. Um, let's just talk about some other teams uh, for just a hot a hot minute. Um, Can we talk about the rest of the NFC East? I don't know. They all lost. Bunch of losers. Stink. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. I mean, we have what Dallas is week three, right? I mean, that'll yeah, be. Yeah, an early season Dallas game. I'm in love with that idea. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I'm, I kind of more want to talk about the Colts and the Bears. Okay. <laughs> Where do you want to start? You want to talk about the Colts for a little bit? Well, I, I, I watched the I watched all of the Bears game. I only saw highlights of the Colts game. So if you want to talk, if you want to take the Colts and I'll talk about the Bears. It's not even so much I want to talk, talk about. about. She wants to talk about. Yeah, yeah. It's not even like I want to talk about. I just want to talk about Carson Wentz and um, and Jason Peters more than anything else. So I read this. <laughs> I read this article on. Uh, um, I don't know, this this guy writes for uh, some paper out in uh, uh, um, in Indianapolis. What is his name? Indianapolis Star columnist Greg Doyle. Have you heard? Have you seen this article? He writes. No, I, I can't say that I'm a subscriber. <laughs> the Indianapolis Colts could release Carson Wentz right now, and I'd help pack his bags. Where <laughs> does he live? Because he'll need a ride <laughs> to the airport. Yeah, yeah. Um, Real quick, I love I love <laughs> hearing that out of nice Indiana. <laughs> You know, everyone's like, well, Carson's going to go somewhere nice and in the Midwest with uh, what was that euphemism he used? Like a, a part of the country that shares our values or yeah, whatever COVID ridden nonsense he was spouting. <laughs> yeah. But it's it just like one bad week and a whole lot of anti-vaxxer stuff. And even <laughs> even the cults yeah. are ready to get rid of him. Ah, mwah. Yeah, so he <laughs> he goes on to write. Uh, this was so, so there's like, there's like a couple of players on the on the team like Wentz, Kelly, and and uh, Pascal to be uh, specific. Anyway, he goes uh, for whatever reason these guys have decided to ignore every credible bit of scientific evidence to listen to crackpots or despots or whatever voice is trying to tell them. You know better than every credible epidemiologist in the country. Hell, do these guys even know what an epidemiologist is? Um, but he goes on to say about Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz is the worst of the bunch in a football sense because he's the most important player on the team. He's the most indispensable player on the roster, and the Colts have no idea if he'll make it through any given week without having to go back on the COVID-19 list simply for being too close to a teammate who tests positive. I'll remind you that when the Colts acquired Wentz, I defended his arrival despite the reports out of Philadelphia that had called him a bad teammate and selfish. Well, what do you know? Turns out Carson Wentz is a bad teammate. He is selfish, and it turns out he fits right into the Colts locker room. Oh. <laughs> Did the anonymous source also go <laughs> to Indianapolis? Duh. Was it Greg Doyle all along? <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I didn't know Alshon oh. was in Indianapolis. I really didn't. So anyway, <laughs> Carson Wentz he lost. Uh, he lost to the the Seahawks in Week One as he always does, and um, if he can even finish the games, and uh, he did have his obligatory uh, turnover. So. I, I will say, like the the best point that he makes in that article is, like if you're the quarterback and you're trying to make whatever point he is trying to make with this, um, his his stance on the vaccine. Mm-hmm. It is a dangerous line you walk with a 53-man roster of guys that have to be in close quarters with each other. Yeah, that you're the quarterback, and if one of the linemen gets exposed, forget about it. You can't play. Yeah, you, know, you got his hand. You have your hands near his arse the whole game. You right. know, so right. You have a COVID fart on your hand. <laughs> Or the football, yeah, we could talk about like you know transmission on fo- whatever, whatever. I'm going lowest <laughs> common denominator tonight. What do you want from me, Gene? What's going on with Jason Peters? Well, I, I mean, first of all, I, I I thought it was sort of strange that the Bears would even bring Jason Peters in. I thought it was even more strange that they were in such dire straits that he was their starting left tackle. Um, he he did start the game. Um, he, he didn't particularly impress me, but he didn't look totally out of sorts. Um, but more to the point for a guy, his age with his injury history, he did not finish the game and it's looking like he's going to miss significant time with, I I think in hockey terms, a lower body injury. Um, (laughs) I'm not sure which part of his leg necrosis is heading into at this point, but, um, you know, again, he manages to convince a general manager to pay him the league minimum so that he can probably not practice and play in like 30% of the snaps for the season and collect a year's well, salary. <laughs> well, the NFL uh, tweeted Jason Peters serving pancakes and there was like a, a clip and then like one of the comments under there is something like death taxes. Jason Peters went to the medical t- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is a guy that literally should have retired in 2018. He was oh. not—he was not truly in like Pro Bowl form, even the year we went to the Super Bowl, uh, and he missed a big part of that season. Um, this is a guy who, you know, had he gone off into the sunset, um, more around the time he should have, would be, uh, you know, maybe they would put a statue of him right up next to Nick Foles and Doug Peterson, but. Um, he just seems to be insistent on not being able to, to know when to let it go. And and he's more than any other player I can think of in recent history. He is disserving his legacy by continuing to sort of become a cliche of himself. This was a guy who was not, was not only a good left tackle. He was a generational talent on the offensive line. He did things that offensive linemen do not do. Um, he was worth the price of admission just to watch him play and to see his talent sort of completely erode. um, There's a reason why guys don't play into that age when they're that size, especially considering this is a man who has had serious, serious injuries. Um, And And it's something you don't see as much anymore. You know, I think when we were like kids going through our teenage years, the idea of, a guy sticking around too long, you know, like, Hey, just retire already. 
that's out of fashion. I don't know if teams ha don't have tolerance for it. You know, maybe they just cut people now or promote them upstairs. But you rarely see that you are hurting your legacy. Please just retire. Whereas Jason Peters, like, and good for him. He's managed to keep getting on the field occasionally for the past several years. But he just feels like a guy, like, hanging around, like, the stage door going, like, I have my own costume. I know the part. Just let me know if you need me. And the the bastard keeps getting on stage. So, I mean, he he's accomplishing what he wants to accomplish, sure. I guess. But it's... But the yeah, shot in Florida. You if you can only do the first act. Yeah, I mean, you can't tell. <laughs> you know, you can't tell someone when when to hang it up. They need to, you know, come to terms on their own. And that's the thing is, like, I'm just so glad it's not the Eagles again. That is sort of like, oh well, Eagles trot out their legend again. No, yeah, it's so much. They better. can't break up with him. Yeah, it's so much better just rolling with Mylotta out there, um, just to get it, like. <laughs> some point you have to like i don't know it was always like a training wheel maybe with that jason peters thing and then i don't know, like you just couldn't get any consistency and any traction i'll tell you what if those five guys can just hang all see i mean like you know miracle to have five offensive linemen play an entire season but um if they can hang i mean they're gonna be they're gonna be a force um all right well look i want to spend some time talking about the lifeless phillies for a second, <laughs> did they did they come back in that game that we are? We watching? ate the dessert first. Well, they tried to. I think they're. I think they're down. Um, whatever. Who cares? I feel like Harry Doyle. Like, ah, oh, hell, I can't find it. <laughs> no one's listening to this anyway. I feel like stink. Um, I mean, like, what? Just what the hell, man? What the hell? What the hell? <laughs> This is literally like the two easiest seasons to make the playoffs last year and this year. Like it couldn't be handed to you any easier. You know, I mean, like last year, everybody made the damn playoffs except the Phillies. And this year, you know. Served up on a silver platter. Served yeah. up on a silver platter and they just can't beat the bad teams, you know, and – it's so not so great against the good ones either lately. Yeah, that's true too. But yeah, it, it is really frustrating uh, to lose three out of four against the, the Rockies who had 18, 18 damn road wins all season long coming into Philly. What the hell? <laughs> I don't get it. I just don't get it. 30 blown saves. Think about the it. only thing that's more frustrating is the fact that, like, we told you. Like, no, last like, season told you. You knew exactly what did you in last year. You knew it. No, like, you knew it think was the about back that, end though. of your bullpen. Like, and you think about, didn't do what, what you needed 30, to do to fix it. Like, what does 30, like 30 blown saves? 30. Well, if you have half of them, I just can't 15 wins. Because... In 2008, it was zero, right? Um, I don't know if it was zero. Well, saves, you, had a, you had a closer that was able to secure what 48 of them for sure. I just I don't even understand how this fan base, like if you're a diehard Phillies fan, like you need therapy. 
with 30 blown saves. Anyway, well, the silver lining is that the Phillies today have released Vince Velasquez. And what, what is this? Like six years of twisting in the wind with him is now finally over. So where do you pre- where do you predict he lands? Do you think that this is the last we've heard of? Well, of I think Vinny? I Vinny think Velocity? he's definitely. I think he definitely makes the wall of fame. So I mean, <laughs> he'll be he'll be there at some time. He does notes. sort of like, define an era. That was, that was in my notes. What percent chance do you think it is that Vince Velasquez makes the wall of fame? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I mean he is going to play. I mean, he's going to play somewhere. There, and, there is a team out there that thinks they can fix him. And I, I mean, depends how long a contract they give him, you know, and how attached they are to They'll take him. A flyer. They'll take a flyer on him. <clears throat> He'll do a Pavetta. Mm. Um, and there's going to be a period of time. Um, Yes, the uh, Tim, the uh, the end of the Vince Velasquez experience, and it really was. I mean, that's like a great way to describe it—the Vince Velasquez experience. Because what was that game? He had like eighteen strikeouts, something wild like that. Do you remember the exact numbers? Like seventeen strikeouts, and so so there was like this seed planted that you found. You found something. Like you found this diamond in the rough and it was um, like Vince Velasquez is like, he would do this to you every year. I mean, we have an episode called Vince Velasquez and the magic beanstalk or something like that, where (laughs) it's like every, like at some point of every season, there was a, there was a time where you're like, you know, I think Vince Velasquez is coming around. I think he can do it. I think this is it. I think we're finally turning the corner with Vince Velasquez. He's gonna he's gonna be great. Well, that was you especially, Dave. You <laughs> you were you were Charlie Brown in the football with Vince <laughs> for so long, for so long. And the start of this season, you know, the the banning of the spider tack really did him in. You know, it looked like it looked like all right, we finally getting a little something out of Vince. You know, no hope, but he was efficient. And then, lo and behold, his miracle season came to an end when they he still had little glimmers. He still had little moments that make you think, well, if he could just do this all the time. Right. Which, But how many years can you do that? How many years can you convince yourself that, like, oh, this guy has a tiny bit of talent if he just makes it exponentially bigger well then we have a starter but he he never did and you know maybe philadelphia is going soft or maybe there's the three of us are are going soft um because i really did root for him but or maybe that's just the the, the easiest solution like hey if he does well i don't have to hate him so do well so I can be happy for you. <laughs> and, and he's kind of, we kind of went through a phase too, where we thought he was he, like a ment. it was like a mental thing. Like you could put him in this basket with Markel Fultz and, uh, and Ben Simmons. And it was just like, okay, well, Vince is great until, 
a guy gets on base or until it starts to fall apart and then he struggles. And like, that is the dumbest theory. That's, that's fucking everybody. Like, like, like it's always great until it's not. Right. <laughs> I mean, at some point it starts to fall apart and that's, you know, when it falls, it's like, I always find my keys in the last place I look. Right. Um, it's kind of like that thought process. So, you know, happy trails, Vince, you know, best of luck to you. Um, I'm sure you'll catch on somewhere and start to like do your magic act on a, on another fan base. But uh, I'll uh, tell you this, this the first time the Phillies lineup sees Vince Velasquez, he will mow them down. Well, that's oh, yeah. going to be the nightmare is when we face Vince Velasquez. Right. Um, because he will be unhittable that night. Oh, God, he's going to the Marlins, isn't he? He's going to go to the Marlins. <laughs> Particularly if it's he in He does September. sort of have that Marlins makeup, you know what I mean? Like, he sort of got that right attitude. I'm really vibing <laughs> a for the nice sweep weather? against the Marlins to end the season. <laughs> what, sweeping think? the Marlins to end the season to finish one game out of the playoffs? <laughs> we'll be further we'll yeah. than that. I'll tell you what, like, I don't even – like, because I know it's – the wild card is still like a thing that's in play, but if I mean, like, I guess it's nice to make the playoffs, but like to play a one game playoff in LA, this <laughs> is going to be a, it would be an absolute, it would be an absolute nightmare. Is um, that pretty much guaranteed that it's going to be the Dodgers? that will be that other wild card team. Yeah. I think they have like a 13 game lead over the second place wild card team oh i didn't know if they were totally out of the auto out of the no i mean or, or it would be the giants yeah yeah i mean like that's still a, they're both going to finish with 100 wins oh yeah oh yeah they're good which is pretty and, crazy and, to have a and then if you want to talk about the if you want to talk about like the gabe kapler um aspect of uh, i don't know if we want, I don't, do we, we want to get into that or we want to wait till like postseason baseball starts we could talk about gabe kapler and I say wait till postseason okay. because I have We're running long here. We're running long here. Yeah, yeah, and I haven't watched much of the Giants this season. I I really haven't, so I don't know you if watched you watched a lot of Gabe Kapler, so you have a real good sense about what they play like. <laughs> a lot I of index it. cards and coconut oil. <laughs> hey Gene. Yeah. Do you know where I keep the coconut oil? Hmm. In the, in the penalty box! <laughs> All right. Well, thankfully, we don't keep the cameras on the penalty box. So, Dave, you do whatever you need to do. Um, I'm going to pivot to Gene. Gene, who is in your penalty box this right, evening? Right. Okay. So, um, he really left. Um, he has needs. <laughs> so, uh, this is a week late, um, but I, I don't know if I had formulated last week how I felt about this particular issue. But, um, did you guys happen to see at the end of the first, the Notre Dame, Florida State game, the interview that is the head coach, Brian Kelly in Notre Dame? Any Notre Dame fans in the room? Anybody? Yes, Notre I believe that's his name. Exactly. And no, I don't watch college football. <laughs> but um, at the end of the game, Notre Dame won this game, by the way. Uh, at the end of the game, he was given an giving an interview on the field. And uh, the sideline reporter um, asked him the question, um, like something basically like, you know, you were able to hold off Florida State's ferocious comeback. How do you feel about your team? Now, I, 
you would expect him to say something pretty canned, like you know, uh, you know, they were they were a really good team, but I'm proud of my guys for bending but not breaking, something like that. Instead, he says, "Well, you know, I really like execution, um, or I like when we execute, but um, I feel like I could, I really like execution, but I feel like I should execute my whole team." Um, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but basically his. And, and the sideline, you know, reporter was taken aback because he basically said he wants to take the Notre Dame football out behind the shed and, and end their misery after a win, mind you. This is after a win. It's not like they were upended by, like, a, you know, almost taken to the, you know, to the line by, like, a Division Three team. This was, this was a well-respected program in florida state this is not some no-name university from god knows where you know they have fans and you were on the road i don't i guess my problem with this sort of attitude is now i know that this guy is competitive and he is in line to uh have the most wins in notre dame football history which that is a storied franchise or program i know you're not allowed to call college football franchises <laughs> storied program a lot of wins and national championships but really i i don't think that the attitude if you want to inspire especially if you're a catholic university you want to inspire your troops and inspire your players is to sort of infer after wins you'd prefer to take them out back and put them out of their misery um I feel like there's a better way to communicate what you're really feeling. Um, I heard some people sort of say, well, you, you can't expect coaches to be articulate after an emotional game like that. Really? We can't expect coaches who are paid real serious money and uh, have to manage the careers and the, the, the amount of things that they managed over the course of a game to not be able to say dumb shit after the game is over. Um, I, I don't buy it. I've seen a lot of coaches talk after games. Yes, I've seen them say some dumb shit, but more times than not, they do not want their entire team to be shot. So um, I feel like he needs a couple of minutes, refocus, come out with a better plan, keep that sort of nonsense for the locker room. Or honestly, how about after a win, we not want to kill our players. How about that? All right. So Brian Kelly is going to get this couple minutes because he's getting two decades of the rosary um, <laughs> to think about his sins and to repent and to make actual penance, you know, put some good into the world, you know, apologize for for wishing death upon his students breaking commandments i want 10 hail marys uh sorry 20 hail marys to our fathers throwing a couple glory bees brian kelly you're going to the penalty box and you're going to purgatory <laughs> and dave's on mute good because that was really loud oh good good i saw you making a face and 
I didn't recognize why you were making that face. So, Dave, who is in your penalty box, or why were you making that face? I made the face because the whistle was was too loud. Yeah, I know, I know. Is this a segue? Oh, okay, sorry. Um, Okay, so I am putting uh, Disney Twitter uh, in the penalty box. Let me tell you the story. Ooh, this is specific. Go on. there's like Disney Twitter is like so so hype. Um, so <laughs> evidently the the uh, Finding Nemo show in Animal Kingdom closed. Uh, well, I think it closed during the pandemic, but there was it was announced that it's closing. And uh, one of the one of the uh, sites, uh, Walt Disney Walt Disney World News Today, reported that it is permanently closed. And there is no news about what um, what will be replacing it. Um, and then Disney World announced probably about 24 hours later that the Finding Nemo show at Animal Kingdom um, is being uh, reimagined uh, with a new cast. Um, and it'll be a new Finding Nemo show. Um, and Disney Twitter basically uh, destroyed... The uh, the guy who writes for Walt Disney World News today for being inaccurate and demanding like an apology and just admit you were wrong and he's like I don't I'm not wrong it was they closed the show like they told me in the show confirmed to me that the show was ending and they no longer had jobs. Like I just reported that and everyone was like up in arms and like, you're in a semantical argument over whether the show is permanently closed or closing and reopening as something different that probably will just be video screens because they don't want to pay actors anymore. Um, and it, I mean, it's just like lately Disney Twitter has been like, I, I, if you're such a fan of something, why do you hate it so damn much <laughs> kind of thing? Um, so, I mean, like, I, I honestly, it's just like I, the, the, the argument between closing and reopening is something different is it, like, how can you even bother with with that discussion uh i'm just happy that something is coming back in that place because i loved the finding nemo show at animal kingdom just speaking so uh disney twitter going in the penalty box all right twitter always the home of reasonable people talking about reasonable things disney twitter twitter uh you're going in the penalty box until you find not only nemo but Dory as well, and whatever the hell the name of that octopus is, that's going to be the third one. That's Hank. Sarah, who is in your penalty box? All right. Well, I have a repeat offender this week, kind of. Mm. Um, we are returning to the penalty box. Flyers beat reporter? Not a Flyers beat reporter. No. No, not from the world of sports at all. The world of children's entertainment. Um, Caillou we- again? What's what? Not I Caillou. Caillou I'm not sure. Who's ever been in it? Um, I know Ladybug and Cat Noir were for their pure mm. French sexuality in children's mm-hmm. television. Um, and I know that My Little Pony was before because My Little Pony's going back in. Because My Little Pony is being relaunched with a movie. It's called My Little Pony, A New Generation. Very clever, uh, very clever name there. Um, but it's set in the future. And my problem is the future that they're portraying. So we're going to get kind of niche here, but it ends with me telling Nazi bronies to fuck off. So come on the ride, shall you? Um, So (laughs) 
in the future, in this My Little Pony spinoff, it takes place in the same universe as the show, right? The show ends with, spoiler, the show ends with Twilight Sparkle um, ascending to, like, rule all of Equestria. She is the princess of friendship. The whole damn show is about friendship. It was originally called My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. That's the whole damn theory of the show. We, it ends, Twilight Sparkle, our fucking hero, is in charge of the kingdom, right? Good things, huh? A unified kingdom called Equestria, you know, equine, equal, lots of different things happening there. Very clever show. Very clever show. And now we flash forward to the future where the ponies are no longer united. You see, for something happened, and now the Earth ponies are segregated from the ponies, the Pegasi, they're segregated from the unicorns. All the ponies are like divided by race. This is after our hero took over. What the fuck, Twilight Sparkle? What happened on your watch? The Nazi bronies won. <laughs> so now the it's it's a heartwarming story of like trying to reunite their society that fell apart. Like the apocalypse happened on My Little Pony, and it happened off screen. Like their whole society is based around this. Their version of Christmas celebrated the day the Earth ponies and the Pegasi and the unicorns all became friends. Like there are many episodes about this. So. There's a huge disruption. Our hero from the first show dropped the fucking ball and let the Nazi bronies take over because Nazi bronies are a real thing. Like, there is a Nazi problem in the My Little Pony fan base, which I know, take a moment, deal with that. It sucks. I don't know how it came to be, but it, it did and it sucks. And now they get rewarded. They get to go, hey, you know, the hero from the last show, she divided the races. What? How? How is this possible? I'm watching the trailer, mouth agape. And it's like, like they, there's pictures of the heroes from the ones. It's like, yeah, we fucked up. Society fell apart. We got divided by race. So My Little Pony, a new generation. You're getting a 50 game misconduct for letting the Nazi bronies win. Quite the eclectic group of uh, penalty boxes entries there uh, but that is all the time we have for today uh, we'll be back next tuesday talking eagles niners uh, maybe a little more phillies stuff we got the we got the arena sports coming back um sooner than you think uh, they're coming they're coming they're coming rookie camp for the flyers starts this week i was just gonna ask you when uh, preseason hockey is gonna start um so yeah we'll be back next tuesday night 9 15 you can find us here. Um, if you if you haven't done so already, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, also, check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Podadelphia. Um, also, check out the Painted Lines for your wall-to-wall -wall, uh, sports coverage on YouTube. Um, and also, uh, thanks to the Philly Sports Alliance for hosting us tonight. Uh, check them out on Facebook um, for, you know, Philly sports coverage. Um, and if you have any more time in your podcast listening day, be sure to check out the Whip Around for all the week's weird news. Uh, so 
Until we meet again, have a great day at work, everybody. We are out of here.